hope you'll really like Because there's just nothing better than this. The TrojanSports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals and Yahoo Sports. This, this is the TrojanSports.com podcast. For a USC with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Moving on. You, you better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Message boards. We start March. Yeah. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. now, now. Hello and welcome to the Trojansports.com podcast. I am your host, Adam Maya, filling in for publisher Chris Swanson, who is in Las Vegas right now as part of his world tour of uh, recruiting coverage. He's been all throughout Southern California and Western United States trying to track down a lot of these targets. Uh, if we get into a crucial time in recruiting, of course, there's an early sunny day coming up this season. We're working out much harder at this part of the year. That's what Chris is doing. So I'm filling in as the host, and I am joined by none other than Connor McGlynn. He's a, a recent graduate, been covering the team for... About five years, he worked at the NFL and is a correspondent of Trojansports.com. Connor, how are you doing? Adam, I'm real good. I'm happy to uh, finally make an appearance on the podcast after being on the boards for a long time now. Yeah, I mean, are you honored? Are you humbled? Like, I want to hear exactly how you feel. Hey, only the best of the best get called to make an appearance on here. So it's Last a- minute? <laughs> hey, last minute, long time to prepare. Either way, it's a it's a great opportunity, so I appreciate it. Now I love talking football with you, uh, Connor. Sees different things than I do. That's always what I've noticed in his reporting. Um, he's a big fan of the trenches, and I think that's where this game was really decided. And so I'm looking forward to talking about this game with you. Uh, it was a massacre, you know. Really, I mean, USC. You could call it their best game of the year. I, I think more people would maybe lean towards Stanford because that's been a, a difficult, you know, thorn in their side for a couple of years now, and a better team, I would say. But USC destroyed Arizona State. They basically dominated them through and through. I know there was a fluky hail mary, but that, that was null and void by the middle of the third quarter. And so I want to ask you, Connor, what? jumped off the page for you uh, from this game? I think you you can't really look further than the physicality of USC across the board. And this is one of the first times when Helton has come out in the post-game presser and he said, this game was won in the trenches, and I couldn't agree more. But it wasn't just the offensive line that made that impact on the trenches, which is what kind of stood out to me. Yeah, Chuma Doga, Andrew Voorhees kind of really held down the right side, which we hadn't been able to see in the past couple of games when USC had been given up a lot of pressure. Sam Darnold's been under duress. But this game, they were able to get that chugging along. Tyler Petit did a pretty good job of being able to seal creases out on the outside to create the running spaces for Ronald Jones, especially on his 
long touchdown, the first touchdown run, that was only set up because of uh, Petit Seal and then Michael Pittman doing a great job of holding his corner outside and being able to create that running lane. So just all across the board, it was kind of physicality by by committee on USC's side of the ball, which is something that we hadn't really seen, especially coming off of that Notre Dame game where they just kind of got demolished in that sense. And then to be able to see a complete change of pace, a complete flip of the switch to where they just outbodied ASU, that was a great sign for USC. Yeah, they, they were strangely dominant. I was actually having a pseudo argument with a friend of mine on Friday night before the game because, you know, he has high expectations and he's telling me how this USC team isn't physical. And I said, well, you can't really say that. I don't think it's black and white. You can't play the way that they played versus Stanford, um, you know, versus Utah in the second half, and in other parts of the year as well. But I realized coming off that Notre Dame game, it felt like USC was soft, and it felt like they were weak, and it felt like they were just a complete liability on both sides of the line. I'm not sure why it comes and goes. Right. Because it's not like Stanford is a pushover. It's not like that's a team where... You know, USC just has this advantage physically, and they usually own it there. No, they, they never do, and they did then. And Utah's another one where it's hard to win that part of the game, and they did. Uh, ASU, I don't think it's a slouch. I mean, they, they might not be one of the top teams in the trenches, but but they've been good. I mean, they, they've been good recently. And USC, like I said, had one of their more complete games. And I think it, it basically makes or breaks them, it feels like. A hundred percent. If they win there, then they're going to win everywhere else. But if they don't win there, it's very hard for them. You know, like where you saw what happened versus Cal, even parts of the Oregon State game, uh, Washington State, where when when they weren't winning at the line of scrimmage, then they, they were having a hard time winning the game. And ultimately, they lost one of those games. A couple others were tight. And then Notre Dame you know, it fell apart because of this very fast hit. Uh, why do you think that is? And I know that's something that you watch all the time. Connor does a lot of sideline reporting for us on home games. And so I know you're keeping a close eye on that. Why, why does it come and go for this team? I think a lot of it just kind of depends on how they're working as a unit. The offensive line in particular is one of the most important positions on the field where you need to have communication across the board. So mm-hmm. in the Notre Dame game, you were kind of dealing with some of the nuances that weren't really showing up. You were seeing a true freshman in Andrew Voorhees kind of getting blown off the ball. You were seeing just the line not really being on the same page. Notre Dame was blitzing a lot. This game, especially in the first half, ASU wasn't bringing too much pressure until third downs, and then you kind of saw a little bit more of that. Uh, But I think USC was kind of able to get more into a flow. Uh, A lot of the time, the ball was moving towards the right side, which had Chuma Adoga kind of being able to lead the way until the second half they got more comfortable and they opened up the playbook and they started pulling a lot more and doing a lot more stunts and things like that on the offensive line which allowed them to get into the second level a lot easier, which obviously opens up that whole game uh, 
the running game to the next level when you're able to kind of engage at the linebacker, get into the safeties, and be able to move downfield a lot easier. I think one of the other things that kind of stood out to me watching this game was a lot of people have been calling out T. Martin for his lackadaisical play calling and kind of the repetitions and not being able to see anything important. But I saw there was one sequence that really stood out to me where people talk about having an established run game opens up the play action pass. But if you went back and you looked at the touchdown play to Tyler Vaughn's where he got the targeting call, the the three plays right beforehand, USC kind of ran the exact same formation out of it. And it, Mm -hmm. it set up that touchdown play very well where they had a tight end off the line and then they motioned him in. The first two plays were both runs and they had him kind of seal blocking over right between the uh, center and the guard. And then mm-hmm. on the touchdown play, or it was actually the incompletion right before the touchdown, the overthrow to Deontay Burnett, they had the tight end do the same move, but then he actually went out into, he ran a seam down the middle of the field. So it was just kind of that that type of repetition showing the same formation three times in a row you lull the defense into thinking okay they just ran two plays out of here on the ground they're going to run the exact same thing on the ground but then they hit them and they try to look towards the end zone so being able to see that and just kind of those little tweaks that was a big step from seeing the games earlier on and the game against Notre Dame to this weekend against ASU another thing I want to ask you about here that I haven't totally understood, but it definitely was effective in this game. So everyone talks about the run setting up the pass, and that's kind of conventional football. With this USC team, they're really looking to do it the other way around. They just seem to expect that teams are going to load the box and dare them to throw from the outset, which has happened. And you've seen some really kind of peculiar ratios of of pass to run, especially in the first halves of games. And this game kind of followed suit. I think they did a better job of of getting creating balance, but they threw the ball a lot in that first half. But it was working, obviously. I have no fault with it. But I just wonder what you thought about that. I feel like this team actually, the way it operates, its passing game sets up its run. And that's maybe not ideal, but I think that's just the reality of how they function. Yeah, I think you nailed it right in the head. It, it goes against the conventional wisdom of football and the whole idea of the run setting up the pass. But right there, just in the, if you look at this game, USC only had 28 rushing yards, seven carries in the first quarter, and it relied on Sam Darnold to be able to get the ball out, find the open receiver. But once he was able to do that, ASU kind of had to respect that more and more. And it sounds kind of silly saying that, you come into the game and Sam Darnold had to be the one to earn the respect of the secondary Mm -hmm. and things like that. But that's what it did. And that's what it took to open up the running lanes. Cause then by the second quarter, USC put up 142 rushing yards in the second quarter. So just that stark difference right there and being able to establish the passing game. Cause I know people want to say, Oh, USC needs to run a balanced offense, but if something's working, if the passing game's working, Why wouldn't they keep going to it just to be able to say, oh, okay, we had a split 50-50 in the run-pass play calls? It wouldn't make sense that way. Yeah, you know, I don't envy the coaches and what they have to choose between because you look at Rojo and 
I think it's easy to just tell yourself, hey, let, let's give him the ball 20, 25, maybe even 30 times, right? I mean, he's going to hit a home run every seven or eight at bat. He's like Aaron Judge back there. <laughs> and, and yet, like you said, they were so effective and efficient throwing the ball. Um, even though it looked hard, I, I have to tell you, you know, this is another game where it just, you, you watch a replay on TV and while things did open up and eventually by the second half, I think the floodgates were open, but, um, it doesn't always look easy when they're dropping Sam back over and over and over again. I think they still kind of put him in some tough situations. We see him take some bad sacks. Um, you know, there was another fumble. So I don't know. I, I guess I, I'm, I'm not sure yet what, what the best course of action is. Um, obviously what they get in this game was great. You know, again, I'm, I'm not trying to critique really what was happening in this game. But I think in general, do you think they need to get the ball more to Rojo? I See, I don't think that it's something where you need to go into a game with the idea we need to get him 25 touches in this game. I, well, hold on. Hold on. I, I, I want to hear what you're going to say, but I'm going to quickly interject here because Clay did say coming into this game, I talked to Rojo and I told him, we're giving you the ball 25 times. Right. Now, they didn't quite get there. Um, that was maybe a number that they would have reached if the game was closer. So I understand why they didn't even get right. there. But they knew that they'd given up on the run the week before versus Notre Dame. And really, versus Utah, they kind of sold it short. Yep. And so I, while I don't think you have to commit to a hard number, I think that you have to commit to the idea that you're going to give him the ball. Yeah, and I I can see that argument, but that's what I was, I was kind of commenting on is I don't really know if Clay had the need to come out and say that because yeah I, I didn't think he needed right, to but he did be, it, because <laughs> it it seems like you're kind of you're you're putting yourself in a cookie cutter mode then rather than just seeing how the game works like this is this right. is kind of the first game where I I thought the coaching staff did a great job of actually going with the flow of the game and dictating yeah. their play call based off of what the defense was giving them rather than having this predetermined mindset of okay we need to get him 25 touches and yeah I totally like agree. you just mentioned if he would have actually played the fourth quarter he would have gotten that 25 carry pitch mark if you want to say or pitch count but it the game just didn't really call for that and especially uh like in the first half the way that they balanced Darnold throwing the ball even if some of the the plays dictated uh or didn't seem too easy like you were saying it it didn't Mm -hmm. really call for Rojo to get the ball more until they had that passing game kind of solidified, which opened up the run game. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, my my thoughts are really about kind of the way that they've approached a lot of the season. But in this game, um, I, it did feel free-flowing. And I, I think that they're still building. You know, I, the passing game to me was really encouraging. Um, even though Darnold was 19 to 35, usually his percentage is in the high 60s. And, and it wasn't that. that. That's kind of a moot point. Um, he got a lot of people involved. Uh, he had something going with Tyler Vaughn's 
Obviously, he already has it with Giancay. And then you saw a couple plays there with Michael Pittman. Uh, you know, they didn't all count, but they just had something going. I felt like they were getting on the same page. And between the three of them and then Joseph Lewis, you start to look at next season and you feel like they, they have a making of... I, I don't know if it's going to be an explosive vertical attack, but I think it could be a pretty formidable passing offense. You know, much like we saw last year. Because this year, it just has not been that. Not on a regular basis. But I think it, there's a making of that next year. Um, the X Factor, obviously, is Sam Darnold and whether he comes back or not. But uh, it, even if he doesn't, you like where the receiving core is going. Right? Did, it, did, did you see something out of them that you hadn't seen earlier in the I year? I did, and I think it, it kind of went off of the idea of him utilizing so many different targets, and especially, I know down the stretch, you kind of saw more guys step in, some of the younger guys, but Michael Pittman definitely stood out, and he's a guy that I think all across the board, everyone has been waiting to see what he can do, and there yeah. was a lot of that talk about his dad's tweets and things like that coming into the game. But he kind of showed up, and I liked being able to see him in the starting rotation, being able to see him getting more targets. Um, the one play that didn't count, his touchdown, it showed his physicality, his ability to stay yeah. up and run after contact. And so you're, you're starting to see more and more out of this group that you didn't see as much beforehand early in the season. Even Trayvon Sidney, he's a guy that gives hope for the future. How did you kind of... A feel about moving Deontay into the slot and having Pittman start and being able to see that combo work together? Well, like you mentioned, I've been waiting for that all year. I thought coming into training camp that we were going to see Vaughn's on one side, Pittman on the other, Burnett in the slot. And it didn't come to fruition. Pittman was injured. He was having a quiet camp before that. Uh, that's probably been forgotten, but just having been there every day, I, I've seen him play better, and I expected more, and I understood why he wasn't starting. I can't say the same for Vaughn. I felt like that was a mistake. There's really no other way to call yeah, it. Yeah, that seemed like it was um, a matter he, of time for that to uh, yeah, finally play out. Yeah, I mean, look, look at what he did in, you know, in the month of October, uh, or at Starting from the, the Wazoo game in you know, the last five games, he's averaging six catches a game, 82 yards. In the first four games, he had eight receptions total <laughs> for like 60 yards. Uh, just totally underutilized. And, and that's unfortunate. But uh, again, we're, if we're talking about the future, um, I think they're in a good spot because I, I fully expect John K. Burnett to come back and... I think you can rotate these guys. I mean, I think you want to with your receivers. You don't want to play three guys. They kind of got into that last year because, you know, they, they weren't really enthused about what they had behind them. They had a lot of young guys. They redshirted a couple uh, transfers that, you know, that, that weren't productive. But I think moving forward, it looks like they're going to have four, five, maybe six legitimate guys. You love it. I mean, that, that's that's USC's advantage. And that's where if they can at least break even in the trenches, if not win, 
then you're going to win on the perimeter with this team. And, and that's why it was so strange the way that they play offense for you know the, the last two months. And those are only the guys that are, are really getting a lot of time. Then you have the other guys coming in. You have Randall Grimes, who he hasn't done really anything this season, but... Yeah, he hasn't played right. And So in the future, he, he's going to, once he can put on some weight, and actually I, I think he needs to improve with his route running and things like that, he's going to be a big target as well. And then, yeah. I mean, obviously like every every year, USC continues to bring in the wide receiver talent. So I, I think that that is just one of their spots where if you're looking for what you see this year out of any group, that can really be formidable for the future, that's the one position group that you're excited about. Yeah, I mean, I would fully expect them to take a leap. The other thing that stood out about this game was all the explosion plays. We haven't seen that either. And you talked about the one with Pittman where he just kind of bulldozed your defender and, and kept going, um, and that one got called back, but uh, they had, you know, Five touchdowns of at least thirty yards, and one of them, one of those was an interception return. The other four on offense. We know that this team isn't slow, and yet it, it looked a little slow at times. Um, I'm, I'm not sure why. Um, a part of me wonders because I'm trying to make sense of some of this stuff, and I know that as you go through the season and you know you, you start to develop more chemistry, but I wonder if. The, that early schedule, while in comparison to last year, it didn't seem as daunting, it might have been a little bit underrated. Because, I mean, you look at Western Michigan, who showed to be a, a fairly athletic team and, and a physical team. And they, they obviously had an outstanding year last year. And even in their conference, you don't just run the table like that if you're not a good team. Yeah, New Year's and 16. So, Right. So there's them. And then Stanford, right? And then Texas, who is, you know, figuring themselves out, but there's still a lot of talent there, right? I mean, they, they, they've never been void of talent. Uh, and then they play Cal, who was just a lot better than people thought they were going to be this year. I know the majority of people voted them to finish last in the Pac-12 North. That's not happening. Right. Uh, you know, they're, they're about a 500 team. But they're they're not an easy win. And they put a shellacking and, on Wazoo, so right. And and then they played Wazoo. And so, but that was their September. And while we just kind of figured that, like, okay, USC should be five and zero, and they should have more figured out because they bring back their quarterback, and you know they, they bring back a lot of veterans on defense. This offense, it, it wasn't ready, it, it, and. It's unfortunate because I think this team had the potential to get into the Final Four. And now I think outside of a just a miracle, really, <laughs> with, with uh, you know more dominoes than I can count falling in their favor, um, they're not going to be in position to, to play in that game. Right. But I think there's still a lot to play for. You know, I mean, we, we've been pretty critical about... Just them not living up to expectations, and yet you look up and there are three games left in the regular season. You went out, you're in the conference title game. 
A hundred percent. And you have a chance to to win the conference for the first time since 2008. Right, and I think even before this season started, I didn't have them as a as a playoff team. I I saw yeah. them having two losses, and I, I predicted them to get their third loss in the conference championship. And honestly, they're exactly where I kind of had them. I had the, the loss on the road, a Friday night game at Wazoo. That was going to be a tough game. I yeah. The Notre Dame game going on the road in October, that's a tough game. Sure. I didn't think it was going to be a blowout, but I didn't think that USC was going to pull it out. And I think people across the board, when you looked at this, those were kind of the two games that stood out when you saw this schedule come out that were like, oh, USC could potentially run into a roadblock right there. And I I get it. It was a blowout in Notre Dame. But people really, they've, they started freaking out very quickly. And even though those were kind of the two games that people saw at the beginning of the year as, well, maybe this is exactly where USC would be. They would have those two losses going into this back schedule. They would still be able to control their destiny in the South, which they do, and be able to prove themselves. And... It, where they stand now, if they are able to win out, win the Pac-12 championship, which that's going to be their toughest game left, obviously, um, kind of goes without saying, they could still find themselves in a New Year's Six Bowl, which to yeah. me would be an absolutely successful season. I think it... Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember your interview with Keyshawn before the season, and didn't he tell you this is where they're going to go, that they're going to be 10-2, and, and then they're going to end up in a New Year's Six Bowl? Absolutely, yeah. He he was one of the guys that pointed it out. And yeah. I, I think to have the expectation or to have the idea that it's kind of championship or playoff or it's not a success is absurd. Um, this is a team that came in. Yes, Sam Darnold had all of the hype. He had an incredible rookie campaign. But he kind of lost all the talent around him. And he had these young guys that were very talented, but they needed time to come into their own. And to to expect them to be able to compete for that national championship, it, it just wasn't really there to be able to say, this is a bust. If they get to the Pac-12 title, they win the Pac-12, and they move on. Yeah, I I understand that, and I I basically you know I picked them to go ten and two, and so if I look at it, I would imagine they would be seven and two right now. I think it was how it happened, you know. You know that that old cliche. It's not about you know whether you win; it's how you play the game. Right. And of course, it is about whether you win <laughs> or lose. But how they played was really confusing. You know, I, I feel like the way that that Notre Dame game went down is uh, is inexcusable. Like, it's the same thing I said last week because they looked unprepared. They looked overmatched. I, I get losing the game. It should have been competitive. Right. It should have been something to watch. Um, that's one that you never want to remember. Right. And and what what baffles me, I don't want to dwell on this. But I'm going to mention it. What baffles me is that a week later, they played the exact game that you wish they would have played the week before. 
And I realize the opponents are completely different. Right. I know they were a little bit healthier, although not, not dramatically healthier. Um, and, and injuries have been an issue, of course, lingering throughout the year. They're unpredictable, and they've had they've had an impact without question. But just to not put up a fight in South Bend, and, and if that's who you are, if that's kind of where you're at, and, you know, it, it looked like they were dysfunctional. And, and then they have a, a beautiful game a week later. That's confusing, man. That, that's just confusing to dominate Arizona State in that fashion on the road, especially with the way the Sun Devils have been playing in, in recent weeks, just a week after the worst true road loss in the history of the program. <laughs> Yeah, the inconsistency is definitely what stands it's out. It's maddening. It's maddening. Right, and I think that's what, if there's anything to be upset with right now in the season, that's kind of the thing that you can point to, is just not knowing. Like, everyone always talks about what's the identity of this team, and right now, honestly, I think if you look back at the season, it's inconsistency and not knowing yeah. which USC team, not even is going to come out by game, it's by half. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. I mean, you think about that Utah game where they had a really bad half followed up with a really, really good one. And and that's what makes me wonder what's next because they followed up that great half with the Notre Dame game. But then they followed up the Notre Dame game with this ASU game. So I don't even know what to expect from the team this upcoming week and what is really for the Pac-12 South title. I mean, if USC loses, it could still win the division. Although at that point, it, it's going to be pretty deflating. And, I, I mean, they're going to be out of the New Year's Six Bowl. And uh, I, I, I just don't even... It's hard to know what they're playing for at that point. Yeah, that turns into pride at that point. Yeah, but... If they, if they win, then they're winning the division, and you expect them to kind of skate through the next two weeks. I think you're right. I think inconsistency marks the team in a way that I, I didn't think it would. Um, I realize that that's the nature of, of college football, but when you bring back a quarterback of Sam Darnold's caliber, I just thought the offense would function better. You know, I mean... I love the way that they ran the ball in this game. We haven't really talked too much about Rojo yet. But he was coming back. You talked about a lot of the talent uh, leaving Darnold, and that's true. That you know, Obviously, Juju and, and Darius and Justin Davis, who's going to be underrated for the rest of his Absolutely. life. Absolutely. Yeah, he doesn't get anywhere near enough attention. And even now, even now, we, we, we always bring up Juju and Darius, and we never bring up Justin. Yeah, and uh, I mean... He was just kind of that guy that you could always turn to, especially on third downs. And uh, he was kind of the Darius that you needed out of the backfield, where you yeah. knew if you gave him the ball, if you targeted him on third down, he was going to be the guy that put down his shoulder and got you those two yards. And and that's what USC didn't really have this year coming into it, where they didn't have those guys that you could just know that, he's going to do this. You didn't have those specific role guys. You had the Rojo where, yeah, if you give him 25 touches, he's going to break one of them, but you don't know which of those 25 he's going to break. You knew right. what Justin was going to bring to the table. 
Yeah. You know, and sometimes he'll break that one, like the Washington State game. They weren't very effective outside of, I, I believe it was a, an 86-yard touchdown run. And I want to ask you about that because I think the world of Rojo, I've uh, done my research and as I reported over the weekend, he has a 6.4 yards per carry average. With the amount of carries that he's had, he's had over 450. That's the highest for any USC running back in the history of the program. Hmm. Higher than any of those Heisman winners. Uh, Reggie had a few less carries. So I, I'm kind of cheating a little bit. Reggie had 440 carries. <laughs> and, and his average was uh, substantially higher. He was like seven, 7.6 or so, right? Yeah. <laughs> but... But uh, so I, I'm not I'm not putting him above Reggie, uh, but he, he does carry a bigger workload because he's just been featured a little bit more. Reggie split a lot more with Lengel. They're on different teams. By the time Rojo finishes the season, he might finish as he could he could pretty much go up to number five. He could finish number five on the all-time list for career yards. Um, he's about a little less than 500 yards away from getting to number five which would supplant OJ. So I want to ask you, because if you look at the box score, it's, it's a head-scratcher with Rojo, because you'll see 130 yards, and then you'll see, like, 50 yards. And then you'll have 215, and then Notre Dame, at 32. Now, his carries aren't always consistent, you know, the, the actual amount of them, but why do you think his production seems to kind of jump around in that fashion. Is it something to do with the way that he runs behind this offensive line? I mean, it's been like that from day one. Right. You know, going back to freshman year, it, it's been unpredictable what what he was going to do. I think a lot of it comes from what you just mentioned is his, his running style. And he is a guy that is built physically – and everyone talked about it a lot this year with the, oh, he put on 10 pounds of muscle, but you're actually seeing it now. And he was a guy that could ground and pound, and he would kind of wear you out. And that's what you kind of saw in those games where he was only putting up 50 yards, was he got a bunch of touches, but he was getting the four yards, the six-yard chunks. And then when you see those games where he puts up the 170 yards in the box score, it's because he has one, maybe two, like he did this game, big runs where he's able to get out into the open field and just show you what he can really do and that explosiveness. I was looking at it, and his second touchdown, the the 64-yarder against ASU, it, it was like a one play where you saw exactly what Ronald Jones is. He broke at least four tackles at the line of scrimmage, which showed the physicality, and then when he got into the open field, he just hit another level like that. And he was able to, he was just, he got into his stride. And once he got that, that little stride going, he can open up his legs. He's off. It's hard to catch him. And I think yeah. that's what you kind of see in that box score is he needs that one run where he's able to break a couple tackles and then really get out into the open field. And his ability to kind of be able to do that ever since his freshman year He's been able to put those plays together uh, a lot more regularly than yeah. most other people. 
because he's able to use that ability at the line of scrimmage where he, he gets through two arm tackles and then he's gone. So I think that's what kind of elevates his gameplay above what a lot of other people kind of see and what they bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm always liking him to like a motorboat, you know, where he kind of like sputters and then boof, gone. Yeah, because it just takes that uh, one little gap. And then as soon as he can get into that stride, it doesn't take much. Rocho's worked really hard to become a more complete player. I know he doesn't do everything at a high level, and a lot of running backs are natural for them to do certain things. But he has a, a God-given talent that... I haven't seen many guys have run the ball at USC. Very unique. Someone actually asked me today, you know, who would I compare him to uh, from USC in the past? And I didn't even have a good comp. I mean, Colton McCullough was like really, really fast. I know that's before your time. Yeah. But it weren't that similar. I think Rojo's unique. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure how he'll be remembered because he always kind of put time. You know, even this year, he's not carrying a huge load. It feels like he could carry more, and we're, we're perpetually wondering why he's not. Um, I remember last year when Justin went down, and that's where we got to see him really become a feature back for the first time, and he was excellent. Uh, he was one of the best running backs in the country, and so coming into this year, we thought maybe he could be an All-American. You know, even though Heisman was thrown around a little bit, and uh, that hasn't materialized. And so I think that he's going to probably end up being underappreciated as well. I mean, I just mentioned he could finish in fifth place on the all-time rushing list at USC. I tell back you. <laughs> he has the highest yards per carry average for someone with that much work. I looked up Reggie while you were talking, and Reggie actually averaged 7.3. Right. So it's about a yard higher than Rojo. A little bit less work, but it, it's comparable. I mean, 7.3 is insane. Uh, Reggie is you know, obviously one of a kind. I think it kind of goes off of that where Rojo was never the guy coming into a year. Like Sam Darnold kind of had, he had the attention of the offense, so Rojo wasn't going to get that attention. And he doesn't have the, the flashiness that Reggie had. He doesn't have the ability to, to run to one side of the field completely run all the way back and then go back to the original side of the field and make like 13 guys miss somehow people are coming yeah. off the bench um because that's just not his playing style so he doesn't get that type of attention so because of that i think yeah he, he gets undervalued because he just isn't talked about but at the end of the day he's the guy that kind of makes this offense that at the next level it it, it yeah. makes it more than just the sam darnold show it allows Sam Darnold to be what he is because they have Ronald Jones as the threat and as the, the guy that can get the 20 touches that opens up the game plan. I couldn't agree more. I think that when he's going, the offense does go to another level. Uh, what's interesting about him, and I'm sure you've picked up on this in your time interviewing him, he's like a like a streaky basketball player, you know, like a shooter. <laughs> that needs to get into his zone. He struggles with confidence. He needs confidence. And it kind of comes and goes from week to week and within games. And he's a really humble kid. And it, it's almost impossible to interview him sometimes because he won't talk about himself. And you want him to just describe how he did what he did because we can't understand it. It's incredible. 
and he's not interested. And he'll just deflect and he'll talk about his teammates and he'll credit Stephen Mitchell for a great block to, you know, to, to free him. Free right. him up for the other touchdown or the offensive line or like you mentioned Tyler Petit, he constantly will talk about other people, um, which is different for a running back. Um, so he, I've just really enjoyed him. I've really enjoyed the the Ronald Jones era at USC, and uh, you know I want to kind of scale this because it's going to come to an end. Uh, in my mind, there's no question that. He'll be gone at the end of the year. Um, I'm, I'm probably more confident in that than I am in Darnold leaving. Interesting. Yeah. Keep your eye on him. Don't forget about him because uh, there's only a few games left with Rojo. And I'm going to say it one more time. He has a chance here to finish fifth on the all-time list in USC's rushing list. Like that, I mean, really? <laughs> You know what I mean? The guys that are up there, again, they either won Heisman or they, they finished second in the Heisman, and they're all American. Right. I don't know. Unless, unless Rojo broke out here, I don't think he'll be recognized as all-American. But uh, for my money, he's one of the top running backs in the country, and he has been pretty much the entire time when he's been here. And even now, people are calling for wanting to see more Stephen Carr when he was healthy, and they were like, oh, why aren't we seeing more Stephen Carr at the beginning of the year? Yeah, he's a... He's a great explosive threat, but you you have this Cadillac in Ronald Jones. Why can't you just be satisfied with that? You want to go for the Ferrari in Stephen Carr. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I know you're going to get out of here right now, but I want to real quickly ask you if you had any thoughts about the defense. I thought they were excellent. I, this is a game that I thought they were going to struggle in because – I assume the ASU with their receivers and they have a competent quarterback. I thought they're probably going to chuck the ball over the field. And while they did throw a lot and, you know, they, they moved the ball, they, they were one for 12 on third down. I mean, USC had one of its best games in a while on defense, even as well as they have played. Uh, I just want to know what you thought about, about their performance. Yeah, I, I think across the board, it was a dominating performance. That one third down was the the play right before the Hail Mary at the end of the first half, so it wasn't even a, a true third down conversion, I would say. I think Jack Jones, actually, he got beat early on the one jump ball where it was kind of a blown assignment, and then he, he tried to make up for it, and then it, it just didn't work. But I think he played well going up against Keneal Harry. He, he was able to win a couple of the 50-50 balls, so that was big. USC has had a tendency all season long of blitzing safeties on third downs a lot, especially. And that's what has been leaving those one-on-one matchups out there. And I I think he handled it pretty well. Playing without Iman Marshall on the other side, uh, I I think Isaiah Langley struggled a little bit. But overall, it wasn't that bad of a performance. Marvell Tell still has been kind of left in no man's land a, a, a fair amount to me. I don't yeah. really know what he's doing a lot of the time. He he, he seems like the one guy that kind of has busted coverages more often than not. Mm-hmm. So I, I always tend to keep a, I don't know if it's, I'm kind of conditioning myself to keep an extra special eye out for him. And that's just kind of what's skewing me. But I saw a lot of, a lot of uncertainty coming out of him. Mm-hmm. And then on the defensive front, Porter Gustin, he he definitely had a lot of rust on him. I know he kind of mentioned that after the game. 
in the first quarter and first half especially he he was kind of getting knocked around he wasn't winning his one-on-one battles but in the second half he kind of showed back out to what we expect out of Porter Augustin I know playing through those injuries it's it can't be easy so being able to get the pressure on Wilkins in the second half it opened up the regime green pressure up the middle so that was that was beneficial and then Uchenna is just simply too quick he he can't be met one-on-one if if an offensive tackle if he doesn't get his full body in front of Uchenna he, he's not going to have a chance and we saw it in that that sequence where uh in the fourth quarter I believe he had the back-to-back-to-back sacks and the the first two were simply off of speed rushes where he just dipped his shoulder and, and went around the tackle. And there's just nothing you can do if you're just trying to, to stop him with one arm. Blew my mind, by the way. I mean, I, I've never seen anybody back to back to back on sack. I'm sure Javon Kirk did it once upon a time. Yeah. But that, that was insane what he did in that sequence. Yeah, he got the sack trick is what I saw. And I, I right. like that little... That little uh, phrase but he he has been a stud and I people have been talking about him but I don't think he can get enough credit for what he's doing on this USC's defense right now Mm -hmm. and uh I I think overall like you mentioned it was a dominant performance by by the defense and it was good to see them kind of step up after the Notre Dame game yeah well it it only makes what's going to happen this weekend even more intriguing because it's a very different Arizona offense, a very different quarterback. Uh, just, it, couldn't, it couldn't be more different. You know, it, it, it goes back to Notre Dame, but Arizona and Notre Dame are, are pretty different as well. And so I think they're going to have to play really well in this game as well. I don't think uh, you don't want to get into like a track meet. Right. With Khalil Kate. Not right now. <laughs> Literally, because he's running all over. He's scary. What he's doing, I mean, his numbers are, are unheard of. And so, it's going to require, I think, a different kind of discipline from this defense. You know, it might, it might not be about physicality as much as it is discipline moving forward. Yeah, you're going gonna to have to see Cam Smith doing a lot more spying and actually being more at home on that and being able to move laterally. A lot better. Yeah, no, I, I think inside linebackers um, are are going to have to really show up in this game. Not that you know that Cam hasn't in the past, but um, this game, this past game, felt like it was on the G line more. You know, and especially if you're including Porter and Ion Skefa and Uchenna as part of that group, I think the inside linebackers, uh, this Arizona game, is kind of their game. You know, right. and maybe the safeties as well. But uh, Connor, how, how did it go? I'm gonna let you go here. I guess you you gotta let me know, but I think it was great. I was a, a big fan, so thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it, it was definitely passable. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll take it. Uh, D stands for degree, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I, I really appreciate it. It was last minute, and you would have never known it because uh, Connor's a, a, a pro. I call him a triple threat. Um, <laughs> he could do TV, he could do radio, he could write. We'll be seeing more of him with us. He'll be up there as going to game reporting alongside myself. And um, be sure to check in with Trojansports.com. Chris Watson is uh, traveling. He's on an expedition throughout the West. Um, just in the next couple days, he'll be talking to Elijah Wade, a Rivals 250 defensive end, and a five-star athlete, Devin Williams. He's also trying to catch up with four-star safety Julius Irvin. And uh, Utah quarterback commit Jack Tuttle, 
who, you know, Chris thinks that he's going to play for USC. You know, he's really the one that's uh, been tracking that throughout. He's going to try to catch up with him, and he's also plenty to catch up with five-star cornerback Isaac Taylor Stewart. So you're going to find all of that on Trojansports.com. Be sure to sign up if you haven't already. Connor McGlynn, I'm Adam Maya. Thank you for tuning in.